Well, good morning. Thank you, Mayor Robin, for that reading. And uh, thanks, Peter, for the encouraging words. How you like that passage this morning, huh? You're going to suffer and be thankful. And by the way, you're going to suffer, right? So uh, as I sometimes joke, we should just pray and go home at that point. First Peter 4 has been um, a particularly powerful passage for me in this season. In fact, it was a couple weeks back, maybe almost a month now, when I, I just hit a kind of wall. I, I, I was in a place, I don't know, have you ever felt this way? It just felt like, it felt like I was being pressed in from every side. Do, do you know that feeling? And, and it's hard because I don't want to compare my struggles or, or my challenges or my suffering to anyone else's, but for me, it, it just almost felt overwhelming. I felt like I was just being boxed in, pressed in. And I remember I was sitting and and as God often does for me as a preacher, uh, I, I was reading First Peter in preparation for this series that we've been preaching on for these last many weeks. And I was reading through this. I came to, I came to this chapter 4, and it was like this was just for me. I was reading these words, and it was like God was just piercing my heart. And, but it wasn't like the nice encouraging thing. This is what I sensed the Lord saying to me in my times of prayer. He said, like, Aaron, what did you expect? <laughs> And what did you expect when you signed up to follow Jesus? Did, did you think it was going to be easy? Did you think it was just going to be a, a walk in the park? I don't know about you, but uh, when I first came to put my faith and trust in Jesus, kind of the message that I got was, hey, uh, there's a God who loves you. He died for you and, and you can trust him, follow him, and you can be with him for eternity. And all of that is true. But, but the church that I was shaped in for those first few years, very rarely did they talk about passages like this one. There was a lot of good news, but very rarely did we talk about the cost of following Jesus. The, the cost that it really takes to be his disciple, to lay down our lives for him. Today we come to a pretty interesting passage and and. And Peter doesn't mince any words. He says, dearly beloved, my dear friends, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you feel like it's pressing in on all sides, right? Don't be surprised. So I want to ask you this morning, how do you respond to difficulty in your life? I mean, really, what, what's your normal reaction when you encounter hardship or challenges, or suffering, what's your normal reaction? It's kind of interesting, I was thinking about our culture. Our culture doesn't really like to reflect on this question very much. We, we have quite the love affair going with comfort, ease, and pleasure, don't we? We love to talk about comfort, ease, and pleasure. We don't like to talk about this other stuff. In fact, in general, when suffering comes or hardship comes, our culture just tends to say, well, you know, that stuff just kind of happens. Stuff happens, right? And then we kind of leave it at that. Y'all remember Forrest Gump? Uh, I love Forrest Gump movie. And uh, he, there's this scene where he's running. I don't know if you remember this. He's running. His beard's really long because he's been running for days and days. And this man from a bumper sticker company catches up to him while he's running. And they're running along the road. And the bumper sticker man is hoping to get a good slogan for a new bumper sticker campaign. And he's asking Forrest about this. And right at that moment when he asks the question, Forrest steps in. Well, it's Sunday. Let's just call it dog poop. 
He steps right in it. And, and the man goes, whoa, did Forrest, did you see what you just stepped in? And then Forrest's response, you remember this? He goes, it happens, right? And there was the bumper sticker campaign right there. He had his new campaign. He added a few extra letters on the front. Uh, I'll let you guys guess what that is. Anyway, that's how our culture tends to think about suffering, isn't it? It happens. And then we kind of want to move on. So sometimes we think of suffering as random. Some others of us actually avoid suffering in a very different way. It's hard for us to admit our suffering because we see somebody else suffering greater. And we think that somehow that discounts our own struggles. And, and, and while we would never want to equate maybe the suffering we're facing with someone who is facing a greater suffering, the truth is all suffering is subjective. All suffering is real. So... How are we to think about this suffering? See, Peter, uh, we've been in this series in 1 Peter. Peter is writing to a church that is facing a lot of difficulty. It's a first century church all around Asia Minor. And he writes to them, and he wants to challenge the way they are thinking about their suffering. He doesn't want them to see it as random. He doesn't want them to dismiss it or discount it. He wants to invite them to a door number three. And today I want to suggest that that's exactly the point that he gets to here in chapter 4. I've titled today's message, The Surprising Gift of Suffering. The Surprising Gift of Suffering. See, Peter thinks that our suffering, our hardship, our difficulty in life actually has a gift to offer us. If we will but understand it the way God sees it. So today I want to uh, walk through this passage that Mary Robin read a lot, and I want to answer two questions. I just want to tell you right up front where we're headed, okay? So note takers, you can kind of know. These are the two questions I'm going to try and answer for us from Peter's passage today. Two questions are this. How are we to think about suffering, right? How are we to, to frame it? How are we to understand it? And secondly, how are we to respond? How are we to think about our suffering, and how are we to respond? Uh, this is a little bit of a challenging word, and I don't often do this, but I want to pause for a minute because I actually think that this message is challenging enough that we need God's help to let it penetrate our hearts. So I want to pray for that work. And if you're not a Christian, uh, I just want you today to listen because this might be a picture of Christianity you've not heard before. This might be a part of it that maybe even answers some questions for you that you didn't even realize you had. So can we pray together before we get in? Father, I'm so thankful for the gift of your scriptures, your holy scriptures, your word that is here to teach us in the things of faith. God, today, would your word penetrate our hearts? Would we hear your voice speaking to us? And would your word bear the fruit in our lives that you intended to? Lord, in, in so much as we are able to, we, we open ourselves up to you. We trust you. We want to hear from you today. Would you come and speak to our souls? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Peter starts out this section with this phrase. We've already heard it. Uh, he says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal, we're going to come back to that, that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I love the King James version of this. King James says, do not think it strangeth, right? <laughs> the thing that is happening to you. Peter was writing this letter from Rome. And what scholars believe is that at least in Rome at this time, the fiery, fiery ordeal was quite literal. 
Christians were being martyred. They were being burned. And it's a reminder to Christians everywhere that, that we experience difficulties, challenges, hardships because of our faith in Jesus. And instead of seeing these trials as random, think the bumper sticker, or as God's abandoning them, Peter says, I want you to think about it in this way. I want you to think about your trials as a kind of fire. He uses just one Greek word here. And you already know this Greek word, even though you didn't know you knew it. It's the word purosis, purosis. Purosis is a fire that purifies. It's a refiner's fire. We don't have an English equivalent single word. We actually have to add an adjective to it when we translate it. But this is where we get the English word pure from. A fire that purifies, purosis. And Peter says, this is how I want you to think about your suffering. This is how I want you to think about the trials and hardships you're facing. This is what Peter's been telling us since the very beginning. You'll remember this from chapter 1. Right at the start, he said this, In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The trials you are facing, the hardships you are facing, are a kind of fire that is meant to refine you, to purify something. Now, there's a great illustration in all of the classic sermon illustration books. Did you know they actually write books for, for sermon illustrations? I know some of y'all, now you know what you want for Christmas, right? Or now you know what you're going to get your kids for Christmas. Sermon illustration books. I know you all are going to rush out and buy them right away. This illustration is so good, y'all. This one is so good. It makes it into all of the books. And it goes like this. A man visited a silversmith shop. He asked him what he was doing. The silversmith said, I am purifying silver. See, I put it in the crucible and I put that over the fire. As the silver melts, the impurities are separated and sink away or burn away. Well, said the man, how do you know when you are finished purifying it? How do you know when the silver is pure, he asks. And the silversmith said, you look into the crucible. When the last of the impurities are separated, the surface of the melted silver becomes as shiny as a mirror and you see your own face reflected in it. That's a pretty good illustration from the illustration book, right? But you see, that's what a refining fire does. It's a kind of purification. It's a kind of separation of things that prior to had been intermingled. And this is what the fire does in our lives. Your faith in Christ and your faith in other things become separated your allegiance to Christ, your allegiance to other things become separated. Your normal life and your spiritual life become defined clearly as your faith is tested in the fire. Those things could coexist for a while, even maybe years. But when suffering comes, when you are in the purosis, there is a kind of separation. And it's a refining. And it's a revealing of something about your soul and something about your faith, and something about Jesus. So how does this purosis work? Well, today I want to identify three things that I think this purosis reveals for us. 
Three things that it reveals. And the first is simply this. Our suffering, our hardship in life reveals our false hopes. Suffering reveals our false hopes. What do I mean by this? Well, I got a call from an old friend this week. Uh, He was calling to ask my advice. We hadn't spoken in maybe about six months. You see, he's facing a dilemma right now in his life. There are some things in his life that he wants to do, but he knows that they are not the right things to do. He, He is well aware of what the scriptures teach on these things, but he wants to do them nonetheless. So he was calling me, hoping that I might be able to say, well, you know, you can kind of fudge it on this one. It doesn't really matter. And of course, I could not bring myself to do so because to say that would not be to love him. I had to gently speak kindly what I think the scriptures teach. After we talked for about 30 minutes, he finally said this to me. He was done with the conversation. He said, Aaron, I just don't understand why I can't have it both ways. Why can't I have Jesus and also do what I want? And I loved his honesty (laughs) because it got me thinking. Isn't that how a lot of us are as well? I mean, if we're honest, many of us signed up for a version of Christianity that might be called the Jesus Plus plan. Kind of like Disney Plus, right? Except you don't have to pay an extra 25 bucks to watch Mulan. That's what's wrong with that. That's something's wrong there. But come on, a lot of us, a lot of us, if we're honest, we signed up for a version of Christianity that is the Jesus Plus Jesus plus career success. Jesus plus my own comfort. Jesus plus getting to do whatever my desires might lead me to do. Jesus plus being popular. Jesus plus being wealthy. Jesus plus everyone liking me. And while God, in his kindness, allows us to baby step our way into faith, because of his mercy, his love, he will not leave us there. He will not let us settle for a Jesus plus plan. He wants to give us pure Jesus. And so God allows our faith to be tried, our faith to be tested, the way you might test a chair or a ladder to make sure it is worthy of your weight before sitting or stepping on it. You see, Peter, Peter knew the importance of this pure faith in Jesus. He had seen this kind of testing in his own life. In fact, one of the most memorable stories of Peter is in the Gospel of Mark. And if you know nothing about the Bible, you've probably heard this phrase before. It's so fascinating. It's almost comical. Uh, Jesus is there with his disciples and Peter is amongst them. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter, in this moment of bold faith, says, Jesus, I know who you are. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And then in the very next moment, Jesus turns and he starts teaching the disciples. Look at what Mark says here. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's Jesus' name for himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus, listen, I didn't sign up for this one, Jesus. I signed up for the you plus plan, Jesus. This is not the idea I had in mind when I said I was going to follow you. And don't you love Jesus' response? Get behind me, Satan, right? You've heard that story before, yes? Can you imagine? 
you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see, Peter had a Jesus plus kind of faith. Peter's version of the Jesus plus plan was this, Jesus plus victory over Rome, Jesus plus political power, ouch, Jesus plus never having to suffer. That was Jesus, excuse me, that was Peter's version that he thought he had signed up for. But because of Jesus' love for him, because of his grace, he would not leave Peter there. See, we don't really know our false hopes until they are tried by difficulty. We don't really know that love is love until love is tested. So, reflection question number one this morning. What false hopes might God be revealing to you in this season of difficulty? Really? What Jesus plus might God be wanting to purify in your life? so that you might be able to sing the words of the song we sang, in Christ alone, my hope is found. First thing suffering reveals, the first gift of suffering is that it reveals our false hopes. Second is this, suffering reveals where and how God is at work in our lives. This last week, I had a meeting with my friend Palmer Trice. If you all remember, Palmer was with us over the summer. Palmer is the founder and head of the Barnabas Center, and I had reached out to Palmer for some encouragement. And so we were meeting down for a cup of coffee at North Lake Mall outside of the Panera Bread there. Now, I got there early, and uh, I, I was doing what I guess kind of pastors do. I was actually pulling out my phone and reading over these verses in Peter. And I, I, as I said, I was there early, and it was kind of interesting. There was a guy at the table next to me. And uh, we just struck up a conversation. I don't know if you've done this, kind of COVID times. I don't know. I find myself talking to strangers a little bit more, even if they're sitting at other tables. I'm that desperate for human interaction, right? And so uh, I start talking to this guy, and, and super neat man. And, and I find myself doing what I do often. I, I find myself in this kind of Aaron COVID pity party. Have you had one of these before? You probably haven't had the Aaron version. You have your own version. I have the Aaron version. And I just start, oh, it's so hard, and this is bad, and that's bad. And I just go listing all these things that are hard about this season for me. And they're legitimately hard things. I mean, they really are, but I'm just... And so then the guy, the guy he listens and listens and listens. And then the very last thing, he says, wow, that, that's really tough. And then he said this, and he said, you know what I'm learning in this season? I'm only as strong as the challenge I'm currently facing. I'm only as strong as the challenge I'm currently facing. And it was like the voice of the Lord was cutting right through to me again. One of the most overlooked truths in all of the scriptures, especially for American Christians, is this idea that God is committed to growing our character. Did you know that? What God gets out of your life here on earth is you. You are the gift that he receives. And God is committed to growing in you and me the character of Jesus. It is his number one project in your and my life. So, what's being produced in your life in this season? I mean, really, like, like what is this trial producing in you? What kind of character is being formed? Are you growing more cynical, more bitter, more hateful? Or, or 
Are you growing in the things of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Is the stuff of the Spirit being formed in you? When you look back five years from now, or even five months from now, what will this season have revealed in you? Suffering reveals our false hopes. Suffering reveals how and where God is at work in our lives. And third, and finally, suffering reveals and connects us to Jesus. Suffering reveals to us Jesus, and it connects to us Jesus. Look at how Peter describes this in verses 13 and 14. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fire ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Here it is. But rejoice in as much as you participate, you partner with the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. See, one of the greatest mysteries of our faith is that our awareness of God's presence, our sense of God's spirit and power in our lives is never greater. My friends, it is never stronger than we are, when we are holding on to God in times of trial. Just reflect on your own life for a minute. When has God seemed nearest, strongest, most present to you? See, when you're suffering for doing good, just like Brent talked about last week, and holy cow, can that guy preach? If you missed last week, you owe it to yourself. Go look at, go look at Brent's message from last week. Brent, thank you. Awesome. See, when you suffer for doing good, or when you suffer because of your faith in Jesus, there is a nearness, there is a power, there is a presence of Jesus that is so real. It is unlike anything else in this life. And that's the point that Peter's bringing us to. I was reading this story this week about some, some of the missionaries from 2008 who were abducted by the Taliban. Do y'all remember this story? It was not highly publicized. But there were 23 Korean Christians who were a part of a team who had gone to Afghanistan to share about the grace and love of Jesus. They were captured, and they were given an opportunity to renounce, to reject their faith, but one by one, when called upon, they all said, no, no, I would rather die than reject Jesus. Well, the Taliban adopted a new strategy. They were getting ready to split them up. They thought maybe if they could divide them, they could discourage them because they were really trying to turn them into an example. But one woman on the team had managed to smuggle in her Bible into the prison. I don't know how she got it there. And right before they divided them and separated them, she, she took her Bible and she tore it into 23 segments of scripture. Can you imagine this? And then they secretly passed around those passages, each taking just a portion of the scriptures so that when they were separated, when they were in their separate cells, they would have a piece of the word of God that they could look to for encouragement. Well, before they could actually be separated, one of the pastors came forward and told the leader of the Taliban, he said, listen, I am the pastor here. If anyone is going to die, I die first. And at that moment, there was a, another pastor who was there who stepped up and said, no, 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 no. Uh, I am a pastor also, and I am your elder. So if anybody dies, I die first, right? 
To which the first pastor said, well, no, 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 no. I am an, or, an ordained pastor and you're not ordained, so I die first. So I guess this is how pastors debate uh, and struggle. <laughs> but sure enough, that pastor ended up giving his life for his faith in Jesus. He was killed. And there were two or three others who also gave their lives. And then there was this kind of mysterious rescue, and I don't know all the details about how that happened. But that, that second pastor who had offered to give his life but who did not give his life later tells this story. He says, years, this is a couple years after they're back. He says, years after this event, the strangest thing would happen. He said, often, one by one, people who were a part of that team would come to him, and he would, they would say, Pastor, do you, do you remember the power of that moment and they would say, I know this sounds weird, but do you ever wish that we could go back to that space again? Isn't that interesting? Pastor, don't you long to be back in that prison cell again? Jesus was so present. He was so powerful in that moment. And I've tried to pray. I've tried to fast. I've tried to do it. And it's never been quite like that again. See, the truth is, Jesus is present in our suffering in a way that he is not present in any other space in our lives. Peter says, when we suffer according to God's will, the very spirit of glory and of God rests on you. See, I think what Peter is getting at is he says that Jesus is better than anything else in this life. Jesus is better than anything. Any trial, any hardship, any difficulty will be worth it if it brings us closer to Jesus. I mean, why would we need a God of all comfort if we are always living in our own comfort? But Jesus, Jesus, the most valuable treasure of all, can be ours if we will trust him. And isn't this exactly what we see elsewhere in scriptures? Y'all remember the story from the Old Testament? You remember the story from Sunday school, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You remember these three guys, right? Come on, a couple of head nods. I know some of y'all are good Bible story people. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're living under Nebuchadnezzar, right? Whenever we say Nebuchadnezzar at this church, we always go boo, because he's the bad guy. Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar says, look, you got to bow down and worship me. And if you don't, what, what happens to them? They get thrown in the fire quite literally. <laughs> and so Nebuchadnezzar throws these three guys in the fire, and then he's expecting them to die. And then all of a sudden he's looking in, he says, wait a second, I, I thought we put three guys in the fire. Who's, who's that fourth person in there? Well, it was God. Some scholars would say it was the Spirit of Christ present with them in their suffering. Jesus is never more near to us than he is in times of trial and hardship. So, so, how are we to respond to this? What is our role to play? Well, Peter makes it plain in the very last verse of chapter 4. Let me read this to you. He says this, So then, so then, in light of all of this, so then, those who suffer because they follow God's will should commit them, their lives to a trustworthy creator and continue to do good. What's our role? 
Look, Peter says it. We don't go seeking suffering. We don't have to, y'all. Suffering will find you. Remember the bumper sticker? Stuff happens, right? It's going to happen. But when it does, what is our job? We commit and we trust. Jesus, I commit to following you again. Jesus, I'm going to cling to you with everything I've got. Jesus, I'm going to trust that there is some gift, some kind of good that you are going to bring out of this suffering. Jesus, I know you are at work shaping and forming the character in me. I'm going to trust that you will do good. Would you help me hold on to you? So how about you today? How about you? You know, 2020 is soon going to be a year that we will tell stories about for decades to come, won't it? We will. And when you look back on this season, when you look back on the trials of this year, what story will you tell? What good will God have done in your life through this trial, through this year. Can I pray for us? Oh, Father, this is a hard word for me. It's a hard word to deliver. Lord, I would much rather preach simply about grace and love, and yet somehow in this message, we sense your grace and your love for us yet. Lord, we do not always understand why suffering and hardship comes. We may never fully understand. But we want to believe, we want to trust that even in those things, you yet can bring about good. So Jesus, for my brothers and sisters here today, for my friends and the friends I have not yet met, for every person watching online today, God, would you teach us what it means to commit ourselves to you again? to follow you, Jesus, to trust in you? And would your comfort be ours? Would you be with us in this trial, we pray. In your name, amen, amen.